Good evening and welcome to tonight's election debate where we'll be discussing all things money or as much as we can fit in over the next hour. We'll be taking a close look at public finances, including the contentious topic of government borrowing. We'll also examine inward investment, taxation, business and the effects of Brexit on the economy. Well, joining me on the programme tonight is Sean Jones from Together Gibraltar. Sir Joe Bossano from the GSLP Liberals and Roy Clinton from the GSD. And we'll be opening the debate in that order as determined by a draw last week in front of their respective electoral agents. Now, unlike last night's Your Questions on GBC television, on this programme, after opening comments, the candidates will be free to respond to each other directly as we go through each topic. But we will do our best to ensure they get equal airtime. And you can join in the debate too on Twitter using the hashtag GibElection2019. So we've got a lot to get through, so let's get started. Um, we'll talk about the wider picture first. GDP, Gibraltar's economy, the size of the economy. It's doubled over the past eight years to its current GDP figure of £2.35 billion. That was the figure given at the last budget. Uh, the annual growth has averaged at around 10% and Gibraltar is one of the fastest growing economies in the world, according to IMF figures. And just to put that into perspective, uh, the UK is currently growing at 1.3%, the US at 2.8%, China at 6.5%. So uh, can I ask you, Ms Jones, first of all, what do you think about uh, Gibraltar's GDP? Well, I think GDP is one measure uh, of how an economy is performing. Um, in our case here in Gibraltar, I don't think it's probably the best measure that we should be using because... Gibraltar receives so much of uh, so much inward investment from overseas, uh, and it transfers so much of the uh, profits derived from earnings from that inward investment back overseas. And so, probably there are other indicators. I would probably suggest I'd probably use GNI, uh, gross national income, as a much better indicator, a much more accurate reflection of the condition of uh, Gibraltar's economy. And certainly, one of the things that we in uh, together Gibraltar will be doing, is publishing uh, data on uh, gross national product as well as gross national income to give a better feel for, for, for what that figure is. But, you know, I don't think viewers particularly want to hear um, uh, about the relative merits of uh, GNP or, or, or GDP <laughs> or GNI. Um, or even if you uh, take a modern view around the uh, things like the happiness index, you know, all the rhetoric uh, about Gibraltar's uh, GDP per capita being amongst the highest in the world does sound all well and good, of course. But... You know, ask people in the estates, uh, in Morrison's, in Main Street, yeah. uh, and time and time again they say they aren't seeing it. You know, they're saying that their wages aren't rising, they're saying that many of them are working on uh, minimum wage, uh, they're working on zero-hours contracts. Mr Jones, we're going to um, move on to Sir Joe Bosano's reply, and you can talk more about that a little bit later on. Mm. Sir Joe, uh, Gibraltar's GDP figures. Well, look, I am the one who predicts these figures and they tend to be very accurate, our predictions. Uh, I mean, it's not that because I'm the best predictor in the world, it's just that I've been doing it for so long that, you know, I, I know how, how the indicators show where we're going. So it's gone from what the, the projection was that it was going to go from 1.2 billion to 2.4. And, and in the last manifesto, first we said it will be 2.4 at least. And it could be 2.5, and in fact, it now looks as if it's going to come in this year at 2.6. Uh, 
But I think the most important thing that I want to say about the economic growth, and uh, you know, you're, you are equating economic growth and public finances, and this is something that gives people the impression that if the GDP goes up, it means the government gets more money. That is not the case. I mean, for example, your wages go up and the GDP goes up. But that it's doesn't mean... It's government spending, isn't it? Well, it's government... No, government wages are part of the GDP. And, and of course, what government buys from the private sector also goes into the GDP. But the most important thing is that, if, if, if for example, if a company earns a hundred million pounds, the GDP is a hundred million pounds bigger, but the government finances is only 10 million pounds bigger because the tax rate is 10%. So if people think I want my share of the hundred million, well, the answer is that goes to the shareholders of the company, not to the government. And all you can only get is a share of the 10 pounds. Okay, we, we have to go to Roy Clinton now. Uh, what do you think about the measure of the economy by using GDP and can it be sustained, Roy Clinton? Well, I mean, as I said um, last time we had this kind of debate, uh, I'm much more interested in the actual cash that the government generates. And in this respect, I agree entirely with, with Joe. Um, GDP is solely an indicator, as Shana said. You know, there are other indicators we can use. But what is important to us and to uh, the taxpayers, really, how does that affect government revenues? Are we bringing in more or less? And how does that relate to, to what we're doing in terms of government spending. I think that is more important than uh, GDP, which, to be honest, we can talk about till the cows come home in terms of how it's calculated, the components. Um, I'm sure statisticians would love to have this debate, but I think uh, what is more pertinent to the taxpayer is how is, how is the government performing and how, how much revenue is it collecting. OK, well, let's just stick with you and you tell us how do you think the government is performing? Well, <laughs> this is only a one-hour programme, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, the, the official book, the, the estimates, which are, are these here, are, are done on what we call a cash basis. So this is like a bank account, money in, money out. It doesn't show liabilities, it doesn't show assets. Now, last year, uh, the government has recorded a, a record income, I think 700-odd million, but it's also spending at, at a record level, and I think Sir Joe is, has his own ideas or his own views on that. And certainly um, the revenue is coming in last year, but we have to bear in mind that it's a snapshot in time. It doesn't necessarily indicate to the future. And certainly last year there was at least uh, 50 million of, as it were, un unforeseen revenue that if we hadn't had, the posi position would have been a lot worse. And of course I have issues with the way the book is put together in that, for example, the expenditure in the schools is not in the book. OK, we'll come to that in a moment. Yeah. So, Joe, would you like to respond to that? Yes, well, I think, I think the, the, the revenue of the government and the rate of economic growth are connected but not equivalent. So, in fact, you have had years, you know, if you go over the years in the past, there will have been years where the, the level of income of the government was growing faster than the GDP and other times it was the other way around because it depends on the nature of the source of the revenue. But one of the important things I think this year, which people don't seem to have focused on other than ourselves, quite frankly, I'm not sure that the other two parties are focused on this, is that you have Brexit here as one subject. Look, the, the importance of Brexit is the environment. That is to say, 
Everything that has happened in the economy of Gibraltar since I was elected in 1972 has happened with Gibraltar in the European Union. Okay? Okay. My first vote in Parliament was on the vote to enter the European Union. It's quite possible that I'm the only guy that was there to enter and is there to leave. But the point is that the past is no longer capable of being projected into the future as if Brexit was not there. OK, I'm going to just stop you there and bring uh, Miss Jones in and ask you about the revenue that is coming into Gibraltar. I don't know whether you've been uh, examining, examining the public accounts, but certainly this year has recorded a, a record surplus, I believe, of 30, uh, £83 million. Pounds. Um, and uh, according to the government accounts, um, government revenue is exceeding expenditure, hence the surplus. What's your thought on that? Surplus is all very fine, but there's an awful lot of waste that's uh, buried in the in the system. So if we're talking about if we're talking about revenue, we should also be looking at expenditure. Uh, when we're making a surplus, you can say, oh, well, we don't have to worry too much about the wastage. But when we start looking at the true costs of things like corruption, uh, true costs of government inefficiency and maladministration then uh, you, you could certainly start to look at ways in which you could redeploy some of the, some of the revenue to more productive use. The um, finances, apart from uh, funding, financing through government accounts, are all audited and they're all in the government expense books, the public accounts. Well, except for the companies, of except course. Except for the companies. Um, so... It, what you're saying, uh, Miss Jones, if I can put it to you, that um, the figures are all there, they're all transparent, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Can you expand a little bit about what you're referring to? Well, um, I think we can um, probably predict uh, a range uh, of somewhere between 59 million and 117 million uh, per annum uh, that corruption costs the economy, and much of that is within the public sector. Of course, the 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 audit the audited accounts, which uh, I think the latest ones out now are for uh, for 2016. Mm -hmm. So you know, if I was uh, working as a regulator and saying I'm looking at three-year-old accounts, they're, they're useless to me. But um, you know, I'm not a regulator anymore. Uh, but uh, there is um, there are figures built in there which simply are not being productively used. So that surplus is simply being being being. Uh, wasted. So, Joe, can we them. come to you for a response on that? Well, yes, certainly. I mean, look, corruption is a criminal offence, and if there is any way that we can find evidence of corruption in the public sector, I put my hand up straight away. I want to eliminate it. And certainly, if it means that money that uh, we should be using for the benefit of the taxpayers is ending somewhere else, then everybody that has got uh, uh, an indicator that this is happening uh, you know, has got, I think, a public duty to blow the whistle and tell us, and we'll put a stop to it. Uh, the, look, the, the structure of the accounts that we've got in Gibraltar have been there since I came in in 1972. The GSD was there for 15 years, and then you saw any need for, to change it. And that is a tendency for people to say things in opposition and do different things when they're in government, right? So... Is it true that there are companies? Well, yes, of course it's true. Is it true that those companies' accounts have been uh, delayed in, in being audited? Yes. I can give you one classic example. The Gibraltar Development Corporation 
in my time. It was created to develop the economy of Gibraltar and became something different during the GSC time. But in my time, it was audited by uh, a private auditing firm. When the GSC came in, they said, this is not good enough, it's not transparent, they want. So what we want to do is we're going to change the law and require the principal auditor to audit the accounts, okay? I happened to call up the principal auditor before this program and I asked, can you tell me when are the last audited accounts from the GDC? He said, 1996. I said, yes, but those were mine. Mm. I said, what's happened with post-1996? And he says, I've never audited any. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that that means anything wrong or that anybody's done anything, but it shows when people say things for political things they, and they don't deliver it, that is when they have to be answered. So you're saying your government is more open, transparent than the GSD has been? Well, I don't think that's a matter for me to say. The people can judge, but I can tell you there is an example of allegedly a deficiency in transparency and the last audit okay. that account well, was done for 1996. We'll ask well, Mr. Clinton I mean, to um, you know, uh, pulling up examples from the past is not absolving from the future. No, no. And, and I, I believe we need to move on. I believe the public have a right to know exactly how their money is being spent. Mm. And the only way that can happen is by having full transparency. Everything has to be brought up to date. The principal auditor has to be given additional powers if he doesn't have them already to audit all government company accounts. And if we're talking about examples, Joe, I mean, I, I, your government's incorporated 33 companies since coming into government. One of them hasn't even filed a single account since then. Mr. Clinton, well, you can didn't I file ask any. you? Yeah, but you, you, you in, have a in company. In 15 years, you have a company which received 11, 11 point years eight without filing an account. And you have any audited accounts at all. <laughs> Mr. Clinton, can I ask you, because um, you raised the issue of Credit Finance Limited with the 400 million going from Gibraltar Savings Bank yes. to that company structure. Uh, you have since, I believe, because I read it in the budget, you have since seen those audited accounts, have you? The, the five years were for filed in one go, up to, I think, to 2017, 18, I'm still waiting to see. But what those accounts show is that the money from credit finance is then lent on to the government. Okay, let's just talk about the, the issue, first of all, of, of public debt, and we'll, we'll go on to the company structures. Um, first of all, public debt. In, in 2011, the gross debt was £520 million, pounds, and the Alliance pledged that they would halve it. Uh, you repeated that pledge, uh, Sir Joe, in the 2015 manifesto when gross debt was £480 million. Pounds. The gross national debt is currently £447 million, pounds, so uh, it's well short of the target, having only reduced by 14%. Can you tell us why have you not halved the gross debt as you said that you would do? Well, one of the things is that we stopped... Uh, giving importance to the gross debt, we, uh, was a, a, a controversy between the two sides of the parliament at the time that the important bit was the net debt and not the gross. And therefore, the figure that we are now committed to is the net debt, and there is now a general sinking fund, and the net debt uh, was targeted in our manifesto for 300 million for this year. So you no longer uh, are viewing, you know, the gross debt with well, like the yeah, The way that the gross debt is calculated, right, is that if, the, if I borrow 100 million, I owe 100 million. But if I haven't spent any of it, technically the net debt is zero. So the net is, debt is the, the, the money that you're left with after you spend the money that you've borrowed. Okay. And, it, and, and in the manifesto, the last time what we were talking about was 
bringing the net debt down to 300 million by the end of uh, 2020. Okay, what I read in the manifesto was that you were going to halve it, but uh, nevertheless, let's bring Miss Jones in. Uh, how important is the gross debt figure? Um, well, it's very important because uh, when you look at uh, some of these complex uh, um, corporate structures um, of government-owned companies, I mean, I, I've got a list here. I don't know um, folks can see it's it. It's published, yeah. You know, this is, this is uh, 42 companies with an intricate web of, 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 uh, of organisations. The first thing, you know, if I was looking at companies uh, that have been structured in such complex ways as a regulator, I'd, I'd want to know what, what is it, exactly the purpose of each of these entities. You know, what is the money that's moving around these entities? And we, we know some of them, but we don't know uh, most of them. We want to know what assets they hold. We want to know what, um, how those assets are employed and we want to know what debts they have. Can I we just, don't have that picture. Let me just ask your opinion because there is a I, constant battle between the two. I just wanted uh, to ask, yeah. ask first of all whether in principle the idea of company structures to raise additional finance for the government for capital investment projects is there anything wrong with that principle before we get on to transparency? Is, is there anything... Well, it gives you a misleading. It gives you a misleading picture because if you're saying, "Well, what is the gross uh, public debt?" Um, and then you exclude large parts of uh, the debt of government and its subsidiaries, then obviously you're getting a distorted picture. And I think we are. Let's well, go to well, this is an extremely important point which I've been trying to make in Parliament over the last four years. Oh, and by the way, the the, the Together Gibraltar chart is straight off the yes, 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 book. Yes. You know, public knowledge. What I'm more concerned with are the companies that are not in this chart, which are owned by the GDC. But anyway, coming back to debt, the problem I have is that we have a definition of debt, which is written by lawyers and policed by lawyers. Uh, and as an accountant, what we've been trained to do is to look at the substance of the legal form. Now, a lawyer will tell you that the 300 million mortgage of the housing estates, uh, which nobody can deny exists, and the 165 million borrowing, which we had recently, which has to £465 million borrowed in the lifetime of this government in the last four years, is not the debt of Gibraltar. Now, how can that be? How can £465 million, which we as a community have borrowed, not be a debt of Gibraltar? But the lawyers will tell us, no, it isn't. Shall we ask Sir Joe, why is that not well, a debt? Well, I can tell you who the inventor of the concert was, which was Apita Caruana, and he told us in Parliament when it was first done for the first time, I hadn't thought of that idea myself, I would have used it if I had thought of it, because I think it's a good idea. But he said, look, what we're doing is, we are borrowing with a company on the basis that it is the assets of a company that guarantee the debt, and not the reserves of the government. And although it might be marginally more expensive, in effect, what is secured. So, for example, if we have borrowed money in order to deliver a generating station, which was exactly what was going to be done before with a more expensive and more polluting generating station, well, the issue is not the structure. The issue is if you are going to borrow to build a generating station and somebody will, is willing to lend you money secured on that generating station, and you don't want to do it, and you insist that you are going to do it as public debt, and there's a limit on the public debt, then you cannot go into but an election saying, I will do a generating station. But if, you, if nothing in your manifesto in 2015 saying you were about to borrow 300 million. Sorry, can well, I there was nothing in the, in the other manifesto either. And what have you done I with mean, 300 you see, million? You see, the, the problem that we've got is that when the people who are criticizing the, the way we're doing things are 
it would apply to you, obviously, because you haven't been in government, are the people who, in some cases, invented that way of doing okay. things. Okay, we have got nothing wrong with the Clinton. methodology. But it seems to me that when we're talking about what's important to people in this in these elections, well, look, I don't think people. In, in Morrison's would say, well, well, I am concerned that the borrowing is being done by a company and not being done by the government. If what we're talking is about what we see in the next four years when we get elected. Yeah, but Joe, the there are, there is, it is important. It, it, it absolutely is inevitable to say that debt is decreasing when you're obviously borrowing. I mean, do you accept that you have borrowed $465 million over the last four years? I accept that the money has been raised for, for a specific purpose, which is in the public domain. Okay, Mr. Clinton, I'm and that put it's been raised by the companies that, that are doing it. So, Joe, let me just put something to Mr. Clinton. But, but the, it's the... not a liability of the government against secured against Joe, the assets Joe, of, of the I, housing estates. Like one moment, yeah, please, gentlemen. Gentlemen, belong... hello. Well, yes, but look, sorry, uh, I'm going to put something yeah. to you. I'm sorry, but this okay. is quite important. Um, the IMF says the acceptable debt to GDP ratio is 60%. Okay. And this is really important because even if we add the off-balance balance sheets uh, figures that the GSD has raised themselves in Parliament, which I think comes to about £1.3 billion, even if we add those to the gross debt, the percentage of, of um, gross debt to GDP falls still within that 60%. Yeah, it's still 56%. If, if, if I may... It comes back to my opening point. GDP doesn't translate into revenue for the government necessarily and is not a proper indicator of the affordability mm -hmm. of the debt. Mm -hmm. If you take places like Bermuda, they've actually abandoned the use of GDP as a debt level limiter because they know it's not realistic. They instead are relying on recurrent revenue, which this government in fact abolished the limit in 2016. But, but look, the entire World Bank Jones, and IMF uses well. this for every country. Uh, uh, Ms Jones, I'd well, like you to come uh, in and you, tell you, us what you, your you, thoughts you, are. You're absolutely right. There are, there are, uh, there are limits. There are those that are accepted, such as the World Bank figures, and there are those that are written into legislation. The problem is, unless you have full transparency, you don't know what that figure is. Uh, and certainly basing it on GDP, and there are alternative limits that are set in the legislation, they may or may not be breached because you can't tell what the figure really is. When you when you have um, accounts, say, from GDC is a good example, whatever the history of it really doesn't matter, you know, because now after eight years, uh, Joe, with the best will but in the I world, mean, I, you've had I, time to, to, no, no, to no, put but that I have, right. I have no intentions of recommending to the government that they change it. I am pointing out that the history is that it's been there all the time. And that I agree with it. I mean, I agree in it, opposition. But it's still, but it's still there. And, yeah. and, and, and it's going to be there. So, the GDC, we, we so we need no to know what the hole is if yeah. there's a hole. Well, what no, about no. the net Look, debt figures? The, the point is that the, the, I so have Joe. been in Gibraltar since 1972. <laughs> since 1972, every government has been doing things in the same way. Occasionally, when there have been people who were previously in government and they went into the opposition, they changed their tune. I didn't change mine. So, Joe, we have to move on because we're not going to be able to finish. Uh, we, we're going to just quickly talk about public um, expenditure the, in the public sector, but I just want to bring up the net debt figure because you said that that was the actual measure. At the moment, the net debt GDP ratio, now you say that GDP isn't the correct measure, but that is what the IMF and World Bank yes, use, is 13.3%, which is, again, well within... I know, but for small jurisdictions, it's utterly meaningless. Right, OK. You may as well measure it against... a matter of opinion. I know, but it's, you may as well <laughs> measure it against average temperature yeah. for okay. you. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, OK.
But I mean, it's a matter of opinion. It is a matter of opinion. Yeah. That's why we're here. Would you change, <laughs> Mr. Clinton? Would you change how the government measures? The reality of it I would is not that we're doing it I, the way it's done by I everybody. Know, else. I would not use that as, as, as a, a proper metric of the affordability of our debt. If anything, I would go back to recurrent revenue. At the end of the day, we have to repay it. And also, you know, the 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 we cannot get away from the fact that however we've structured it, we have additional borrowing indirectly. Okay, so Joe, any plans to make the company accounts more transparent, more open? Well, I don't accept they need to be made as more transparent than they are. I mean, my position, look, I believe in, in, in state ownership of companies. And my position with, with the GSD, when they were in opposition, was I will make the company uh, accounts public when it's when private companies are required by law, I don't see why a state-owned company should be at a disadvantage competing with the private sector, with the private sector, what it's doing, but they don't know. Okay, we're going to move to... The, the moment that it was possible to do, we made it available. Mr Clinton, the very quickly... The people who were criticising yes. it didn't publish an account in 15 years. Mr How, Clinton, very quickly... I think to answer Joe's point about competing with the private sector, yeah. credit finance doesn't compete with the, with the private sector. And in fact, there are such things as public interest companies that should file full accounts. You're not in the private sector. You're not running Microsoft. You're running public entities for the benefits of the public. OK, yes, we're going to stop that there. I believe in state ownership operating commercially. Yeah, but you so, think credit finance is right, commercial, operating stop, commercially. We're going to stop there on, on, um, on that issue uh, and talk about the size of the public sector. So, Joe... I, I'm going to bring Ms Jones in first, though, because you two have uh, had um, a <laughs> bit of a chat there. Um, the size of the public sector, Sir Joe, you're the one that says that the size of the public sector is unsustainable and has to change. And I think you mentioned something like it's costing the uh, public £50 million a month to run. Um, jo I mean, you are the person in government, so... Um, why has that not been changed? Actually, I will ask you first and then I will come straight to okay, Ms Jones. Yeah. Well, I haven't said the size is not sustainable. I'm saying the growth in the size is well, not sustainable. Well, the growth in the size it's is not sustainable. Thing, right? But why, why well, are you not doing anything about because, it? Look, because what the public sector does, what people are going to do in this election campaign is get wish lists. And the wish list translates in growth in the public sector. Right? We've got a problem in making people understand that the money is not something that, you know, comes out of some magical machine. It is true that the money is produced by the output of the private sector and that the public sector provides services which are paid through the taxation of the private sector. And what I have been saying is we cannot continue growing at the pace that we were because the pace of growth is unsustainable. Right, so you would continue growing but not at that pace, is that the, what you're saying? The pace has to slow down and in particular we are now in, at the moment in the month that will be the month that we leave the European Union. Everything that I'm saying about what has happened until now is completely irrelevant as to what will happen on the 1st of November. Okay. And what we need to be focused is what are we going to be able we'll, to do we after will, the 1st of November? We will talk, we'll talk about that in the second half of the programme. We're going to see what Ms Jones thinks about the size of the public sector and then Mr Clinton and then we'll go to a break. Actually, I don't think that um, we need to um, grow the public sector at all. We've only got 22 or so, I think it is, 
uh, unemployed people, so I'm not quite sure where they're all going to come from. Um, the, 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 the reality is that there is huge uh, government inefficiency and maladministration. Um, we've carried out some AI-assisted modelling, and, and, and it very much looks like we've got uh, wastage in, in public sector of up to 100 million a year. Um, and that figure, by the way, is not something I picked out of, out, out of the figure. Okay. That, out, out of the air, that is a figure that's supported We're gonna by the We're going to stop you World, there. Mr Clinton, World if you could Bank. just quickly give us your point of view before we go to sure. the break. I mean, look, the public sector at the moment, according to the last stats available, is about 5,500 uh, people, according to the book, on a total uh, uh, working population of 30,000 people. So it is significant, there's no doubt about it. As to what is the requirement to run our public services is a different question. Would you make cuts? I, would, I know. I don't see why. I'm not going to say that now. What I would say is for certain we would review at how services are delivered and, of course, you know, to go back to the mantra of efficiency and make sure that we are getting efficiencies. And, and I know the GGCA are the first ones to say that they are willing to cooperate and help to achieve these efficiencies. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to stop you there, unfortunately. We do have to go to a break. You're watching an election debate 2019 on money. We're going to take that short break now, but uh, when we return, we'll be looking at the elements that make up Gibraltar's economy, inward investment, taxation, business and financial services, plus the candidates will tell us about their post-Brexit economic plans. Join us in just a few moments. Welcome to part two of GBC's election debate programme. I'm joined by candidates representing the parties contesting the general election to be held on October the 17th. We're talking about money and to kick off the second part of the programme, we will be talking about inward investment. But first of all, I did cut Miss Jones off mid-flow whilst uh, she was talking about public sector efficiency. So I'd like you to please continue your Well, I, I won't <laughs> hold it against you, Ros, but um, I, I, the point I think I wanted to make is that uh, if we eliminate government inef uh, inefficiency and uh, re deploy the human and other resources that are being otherwise wasted and term, uh, put those into better uh, better service delivery. We improve the quality of public sector jobs and we also reward those who bring a positive impact to uh, to the community at large. So that wish list, uh, or many wish lists that politicians receive at this sort of four-yearly period uh, that Joe was talking about a few moments ago, that doesn't equate to increasing headcount. It just needs to be used better. And I believe with that kind of waste in the system, that level of waste in the system, that's something that we can um, deploy to make a positive impact and improve the quality of everybody's life. Okay. Uh, Mr Clinton, inward investment. How much inward investment have you seen coming into Gibraltar and uh, what would you like to see? Well, last time we were here in the last election debate and, and dare I Dare I mention it, Blue Water, we were debating the 83 million premium that was going to be received and unfortunately, as we know, it didn't happen. Obviously, Brexit happened in the, in the meantime. And I would imagine it is very hard at the moment to achieve true external inwards investment into Gibraltar. And I know Sir Joe has been going to China trying his best to, to attract investors to Gibraltar. But taken in the context of, of what's happening in the global economy, um, it is not surprising, I think, and to be fair to this government, that it is hard to attract inwards investment. 
I do have a problem, though, some with, for example, the uh, Victoria Keys development, in which we're using our money to lend to developer to develop, whereas I would rather use that money to do the reclamation ourselves and then sell the land to the developer. That's not really inwards investment because we're using our own resources. Yeah? How we can get more inwards investment? Well, I think we'd have to go out into the wider world and obviously sell Gibraltar as best as we can. But we have to be realistic. We are living in very difficult times. Ms Jones, inward investment, how do you see that um, developing here? Well, I wouldn't disagree that inward investment is a challenge, but I don't think we need to rely on inward investment to develop our economy. Um, certainly it's together Gibraltar's position that uh, we can develop uh, our economy internally. And certainly if you take a view over, say, the next 10 years, it will be perfectly possible to reinvigorate that economy and mitigate some of the effects of, of looming Brexit. So um, if you think about um, uh, incentives that can go in towards uh, creating our own domestic economy around technology-led industries, you know, this um, Gibraltar until 88 has a, a history of industry and uh, industry today, of course, isn't performed in, in factories where there are either humans or robots. Industry in technology-led fields is conducted in offices with computers. So you can think about uh, areas such as gaming software, which would fit in very well with our gaming sector. You can think about digital media, about satellite technology, uh, and, of course, the, the, the one that is uh, going to be in huge demand over the next many years, and that is technologies to, to combat climate change. Uh, and th these kind of industries are the sorts of industries that we need to develop here in a place that has geographical constraints. Uh, and, but it's perfectly possible to do that. Then we don't have to go begging money from everybody else around the world and rely on that solely as our for, to build our economy. OK. Um, actually, Ms Jones, can I just ask you a question? I I've been having a look at the figures at Companies House. And what has really surprised me is that since the EU referendum in 2016, more companies have been formed in Gibraltar. Now, is that indicative that Gibraltar is still an attractive jurisdiction? It may be attractive for, uh, for domiciling businesses that have their origins in other places, uh, but that isn't the only industry that we're capable of producing here. I think we've forgotten how to make things. Joe comes from an era where things were made in Gibraltar as they were everywhere in the world. So relying just on forming companies that hold assets or uh, are parking their assets here and using them, deploying them elsewhere in the world, isn't something Not that necessarily indication. is indicative. We have far more companies per head of population than we would otherwise warrant. OK, so Joe? Well, actually, in fact, I mean, we had an industrial complex, but it was a military industrial complex. I mean, mm. we haven't manufactured things uh, other than to service the... the, the but, we, for example, in the naval dockyard, people used to make ships, parts, but when that went, the commercial uh, yard that replaced the, the other one was not in the same business, you know. So, in, at the end of the day, the most important thing at this point in time is that the, the framework of our economy has been in the EU for 46 years. The challenge that we've got now is that we don't know at the moment what is the framework on the 1st of November, and therefore the position of... of our party, the manifesto of our party on this occasion is that we are getting prepared for a worst-case scenario and we, are prepared, we have prepared and I have prepared a, a 
projection of the growth of the economy and of the development and of the inward investment and of all the items that you've got, which would be completely different if we were not leaving. We, we will actually come to that. Uh, we'll leave sufficient space at the end of the programme yeah. and you can tell us about that. I know you've published your manifesto. Let's move on to taxation. Uh, let me just ask you about per personal taxation, um, Mr Clinton. The GSLP Liberals said that they would bring personal taxation, taxation down to 15%. Um, that hasn't happened. We'll find out what's happening with that. But what would your idea of personal taxation be? What level would you uh, well, envisage it? Well, obviously as low as possible, but you have to bear in mind is that public services don't come for free. So uh, you have to tax in order to provide some of those services. Uh, certainly the GST has always been the government that has reduced taxation on a personal level where it can. And I think you look at our track record that you know, we have brought down significantly the top level of tax to I think an average of about 20 odd percent uh, for average uh, earners. So uh, we have done that in the past. Now, whether we can do that in the future any further, um, I have to subscribe to Joe's view and say, look, we have to suck it and see in future. But certainly, if there is ability to reduce taxation, we certainly would. Ms Jones, where do you stand on taxation? Well, I certainly wouldn't disagree that our overall and the long-term objective should be to bring down taxation. But I think we've got three very specific measures uh, three initiatives that we would bring in. First is to uh, introduce fiscal incentives, powerful fiscal incentives, such as an enterprise investment scheme that would encourage diversification of the uh, of the economy and kickstart investment in some of these uh, technology-led industries that I've been talking about, the ones that will actually develop and build can I, can and products and services here. Can I interrupt you there? When you say attract these businesses, so these are bringing in external intellectual capital, I guess. No. Is that what you're saying? N not relying on that at all. No, I want to I, I want to, uh, to build these industries indigenously. So, but you uh, have that, to bring in know-how. Uh, you don't necessarily have to bring in know-how. We've got a lot Ms. of... Ms Jones, you're know-how that we brought in, aren't you? Well, I, <laughs> I, I am know-how that's been brought in, and with me was brought in a whole um, uh, industry sector around uh, distributed ledger technology, which is what I was asked here to Gibraltar do. And now I'm afraid you're all lumbered with me because I'm, 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 I'm retiring here. But um, the, uh, the, 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 there is obviously know-how available globally. It's a global market that we're in. Mm. Uh, we don't need to think of um, uh, know-how as only stuff that we can bring in. Uh, we, a joined-up approach would be to marry up some of the um, educational initiatives. So we have another initiative uh, uh, around enhanced scholarships for folks, uh, for students who are going to work instead, who are going to study uh, STEM subjects, for example, uh, science, technology, engineering, and maths. These would be critical core subjects that you need for technology-led industries such as the ones I'm talking about. We are talking about um, uh, overseas vocational bursaries for those who choose not to take an academic pathway, again giving priority to those well, areas that, have that will admit, be beneficial to these that industries. That you will have to admit will take a good 10, 15 years to deliver. Um, in terms of immediately post-Brexit, we, we need to, if we can, find other more immediate industries perhaps that we can attract to Gibraltar. I mean, for example, I only read the other day Revolut sets up their customer centre in Portugal. I mean, this is a fintech bank that ideally we should be trying to attract to Gibraltar. And we have to sort of ask ourselves, what is it that, why aren't we as competitive in attracting these businesses? Well, in that, 
Can, sorry, can I ask Sir Joe? Um, can you well, respond I think, to that? I think we're talking as if the, the economy was in that sector. I mean, the economy may be in that sector in the future, but there is an economy now which well, employs masses somewhere. of people that are doing very different things, and those areas are not uh, uh, where we are. I mean, we've got a situation where the potential of this economy in the future is an unknown. We really are facing a totally unknown because we don't even know if the United Kingdom is going to get any access and if we are going to be included in the access. In the absence of all that, what we've got is to protect what we've got. This is the most challenging thing we've well, faced today, is protecting the fact that we've got 30,000 jobs in, in Gibraltar, which is you know, very high for, a, for, for a, a place that has got a population of 34. We've got a ratio of employment to, to citizens that you don't find practically anywhere else other than in Luxembourg, because they also rely heavily on frontier workers. So in our own uh, uh, programme, we are looking at developing the, 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 the new incoming businesses in order to be able to support the public services. But what the are these new got. incoming businesses? What, what are well, they? The, the, we've got, a, we are actually identified 10 projects that are going to be the core of the National Economic Plan. The, but we are, this we are is your repositioning of Gibraltar's economy, Absolutely. part of the plan. We're repositioning right. it now like we had to do in 1988. And if in 1988 we had not been able to very quickly move away from the disappearing MOD, we, we, we would have been bust. And I'm saying now it's a disappearing EU I, I'd like to disappearing just ask, MOD. I'd just like to ask a very quick question because we, we need to sort of move on to... to Brexit, uh, about financial services, uh, what's happening with, uh, you know, banking. Uh, banking has changed. Uh, I know we've only had three licences given in the past eight years, according to government figures. Uh, we have the new DLT uh, sector. Um, can we just, if I can just ask you one minute to very quickly just give us a, a, a recap well, like, of what like you think about the well, sector, look, how it's developing. Well, look, banking I, I can talk about um, from experience and we have to accept that we're living in a global economy and uh, banks uh, around the world are, are, are retrenching, they're regrouping, conserving capital. Uh, and unfortunately, we're not alone, because I have seen in Guernsey and Jersey as well, they have suffered as well. They're also terms... going more digital, aren't they? Well, it's not, it's not just digital, because you can still be digital and be Deutsche Bank. It's, it's just the fact that the banks are now looking where their footprint is geographically uh, for capital purposes, for risk purposes, for just markets where they want to be. You know, they may decide to invest billions in China and shut down in India. Uh, we are living in, in a global economy. We have to bear that in mind. Uh, in terms of banking, yes, we have uh, the so-called fintech-type banks. Um, but then you may say, well, yes, they, they, they have banking licenses, but you will find that they're not banks as you may know them. They're completely different types of entities. I mean, take Revolut, which practically every Gibraltar has, yeah. Um, they don't have much in terms of a, a back uh, office structure, which is why they have to set one up. You know, it's not sort of banking you can phone up and say, I have a problem. Um, yes, we're going to get more of that, but it won't necessarily translate into more jobs. Well, actually, that's really, that, that's really interesting when you choose uh, an example such as Revolut, because that's yeah. been an incredible success. I, yeah. I know something about it because I spent some time yeah. uh, working at, at Canary Wharf, where they were based, where the, where the business was uh, created. Mm. Uh, and these are the banks of the future. Bricks and mortar banks, I'm afraid, are dying out. If you just look at in the, in, in the UK and most other 
most other parts of the developed world. Uh, wide networks, large networks of uh, bank branches have been shut down. Um, the the bank of today is the you know is the Tablet. is the iPad or uh, iPad or uh, an iPhone or some other uh, device. That is the bank, um, and and frankly, that's what millennials and post-millennials expect to banking. They don't need to go to a place. I think we have, um, Minister of Commerce, Albert Isola, said yesterday that I think about five <laughs> um, digital um, banks have opened in Gibraltar. But can I ask you about um, distributed ledger technology, Mr Jones, because obviously you're brought to Gibraltar to help craft... Um, Gibraltar's legislation. Uh, where do you think that sector is going? Well, unfortunately, um, although we have the regulatory uh, framework for that, um, it hasn't been uh, as successful as it might have been because I don't think it's been marketed as effectively as it ought to have been. Um, there hasn't been the sort of follow-up in regulatory, related regulatory products. For example, it's it's now nearly two years since the token legislation was uh, was uh, first uh, work on that was first started, and yet, despite many promises, that's still not on the statute book. And and the time for that has now already passed because of these with these kind of technologies that they are short-lived in the. In the, in the build-up so cycle. Fast, yeah. And so now you've got that stage in, in DLT and blockchain where actually you're past the peak, well past the peak, uh, and we're going to see something, I imagine, very similar to the development of the internet. You know, you had uh, the build-up in the 90s and the second half of the 90s uh, that culminated in the crash of 2000, the so-called dot-com bubble that was burst, and then it took another five or ten years be uh, before other businesses built on similar models, in fact, often, but were then of their time, were, were then starting to build up. And now, of course, we can't do anything without our tablets and our phones. Uh, and the internet, of course, runs absolutely everything, including this TV station. Uh, Mr Clinton, can I ask you, where does the GSD stand on DLT? Well, look, we'll obviously um, continue to encourage the sector, uh, but I've been following this very closely myself. And uh, from the point of view of jurisdiction, I want to make sure that we get this right. Um, and I've seen the legislation obviously passed in Parliament so far. But in terms of tokens or what they call initial coin offerings, I must admit I'm, I'm fairly hesitant uh, to, for Gibraltar to be the first um, to be in market on this because things could go very badly wrong very, very quickly. And we don't want the jurisdiction to... Um, have that kind of uh, mistake uh, forever with our name associated. I, I, I've got some in, some interesting statistics on this. Um, uh, what was proposed was actually to regulate the sector so as not to leave it open because at the moment it's unregulated. And because legislation has been delayed or deferred or uh, parked for some time, what uh, has happened is we've now had over 100 what you're calling uh, ICOs, yes. initial coin offerings, although... To be honest, that's now has been. We're now two stages further on from that. You, you've got to check in the morning what the latest um, uh, token thing is. But because of that, we've now had 100 um, unregulated token offerings or more that we may not know about uh, that have occurred from Gibraltar. Um, that cannot be a good thing. The legislation was actually there to protect uh, consumers and investors and it was there uh, to protect our reputation. Unfortunately, mm. without it, we've done neither. Well, that's unfortunate, and obviously a, a GSD government 
we'll look into that and make sure that needs to be done. Well, you can we'll be, be certain that together Gibraltar government with me, and it will. <laughs> right, we're we're coming up towards the, the you know the last ten minutes of the program. I really like to hear more about your post-Brexit economic plans. Um, so, Joe, you started telling us about your plan, uh, a ten-point plan, I think you said. Well, uh, can no, you just no, I said ten, there are ten projects. Look, ten projects. This is six or seven pages. I mean, you know, it's, it's the core of our manifesto. Can you it, just give we, us a, a nutshell? Well, we're we're. Uh, we're approaching this election on the basis that the most important thing that is happening at the moment, which could throw our economic model totally sideways, is the fact that, that there is a no-deal Brexit on the 1st of November, and that if there is a deal, then there is, the at the end of the transition period, a Brexit where whatever is offered to the United Kingdom will not necessarily be offered to us. And therefore, you can't go into government now assuming that it's all going to turn out well, and it's better to go into government assuming that it's all going to turn bad, and if it doesn't turn out bad, then that's a bonus. So our projections, for example, compared to the figures that you've been looking at in the passing GDP, is that the GDP in the next few years will be growing at about 2.5% instead of 10, right? And that there's going to be an emphasis which will start within days of us being sworn into government if we win the election, to put into effect the new model for the Gibraltar economy. A completely restructure where we're going to be looking at uh, developing less labour-intensive uh, um, activities where we're going to be investing in more reclamation like we did the last time, where we're going to be putting warehousing which, for example, are go going to be needed for the level of activity that there's going to be, and also for the possibility that we may find ourselves with delays in staff arriving from the UK. And if you've got, for example, Morrison that gets, uh, uh, has got a small <coughs> storage facility here because it gets regular deliveries, well, we may find that people need to wait a month for the next lorry to come. And, and, and so all those things, all those contingencies that have been looked at will result in an immediate development programme which will involve reclamation, it will involve manufacturing outside Gibraltar and outside the EU to supply. It will mean bringing in the latest technology that is already operational in the United Kingdom, where the United Kingdom is, is investing £2.5 billion in promoting modern methods of construction, where we did something like it, but it's now gone much further okay. in, in, in the, with the, uh, the component, component factory. Yeah. Time dictates that I'm going to ask mm -hmm. Mr Clinton, what's your post-Brexit economic plan? Well, the, listening to Sir Joe just now, it sounds more of contingency planning that should have been done in terms yeah. of, of work, in terms of warehousing and stuff like that. It's very difficult, obviously, from the GSD to go to the degree that he's going to go because we haven't had access to the information that he has. Yeah? But what I will say is that we will certainly be um, uh, promoting some business-friendly incentives um, in terms of levels of import duty, eliminating some of them altogether in a post-Brexit environment and obviously making sure that in terms of burden of taxation is that we don't increase it. One thing that I'm a bit concerned about is that in terms of... Brexit uh, uh, funding, as far as I'm aware, the government in the last budget only set aside a million two for what was going to be, as Joe's describing, a major upheaval 
of our economy. I would expect that number to be at least 10 times bigger. And of course, we need to then work very closely with the business sector and see what it is that they need governments to do. It's very difficult to plan for the unknown. That's all I can say. But we will certainly do our best to uh, make things as easy as possible or eliminate any pain that may arise from the business or and or other sectors. OK, Miss um, Jones, you touched on sort of the technology sector, something that uh, is, well, is your background. Tell us about your post-Brexit economic plan. Well, um, first thing is I'm not calling it a, a post-Brexit economic plan. And w one thing is absolutely obvious, and I think we're all agreed, um, Brexit is going to be bad for Gibraltar, uh, both in the short and the medium term. The problem is we don't know what kind of bad, and we don't know how bad. Um, I would have liked to have thought that we'd made all of these uh, changes to our structures that we would need rather than rush construction post-Brexit and spend more money than we probably ought to or need to or could have spent if we had planned for these things over the last three years. Um, but certainly I know one thing, having, uh, you know, having made this my home, I know that Gibraltar will certainly confront the challenges of Brexit in the spirit of, of community and solidarity and fraternity as it's always done, as it's done with the other challenges to, to, to its economy. Um, certainly uh, the core of our plan is around developing new, once one's dealt with the immediate uh, the immediate challenges of making sure that the supply lines are there that we've we've got free flowing whatever we need um, there will of course be disruption as the yellow hammer report quite contrary to the suggestion that's old and out of date in fact when the text was released it, it quite clearly showed that we have we are still unprepared that time has moved on and actually we haven't changed a number of those things we will have to deal with those things and together gibraltar going into parliament and i'm sorry going into government on the on the on the on the 18th of october we have a very clear plan some of which we've documented and i've written about over the last uh, month or two um, and can be found on on, on togethergibraltar.com of very specific plans of things that we will do in order to mitigate the immediate impact of brexit okay um, we're coming towards the end of the programme now and so I'm going to ask you for your concluding comments as to why anyone watching this programme would vote for your financial plan and according to, according to uh, the draw um, as to who will speak first uh, in concluding comments, it's Sir Joe Bolsano. So if I can ask you to sort of keep it to roughly a minute each. Sir Joe, why should anyone vote for the GSLP Liberals? Well, I think predominantly because... Gibraltar is facing a situation similar to the one in 1988 and we have got a plan like we did in 1988 when people said it was a secret plan until we actually produced it and implemented it. And that is what Gibraltar needs. And it, this is not about making arrangements. We made all the administrative arrangements that we've been advised by London we needed to do. London ha doesn't have a plan to change the United Kingdom economy. We've got a plan to change the Gibraltar one, and we've got the people lined up to do it. And it's a, a, a plan that will involve a, an injection of something of the order of £500 million. OK. Thank you very much, Mr Clinton. Well, I look forward to hearing where the £500 million will be coming from, but um, we will wait and see. I mean, from a GSD point of view, it's really quite simple. It's, it's the same mantra as I've been repeating over the last four years in Parliament. It's about transparency. It's about accountability. And in terms of going to this election, obviously, from the GSD's point of view, 
uh, we feel we have uh, the team that has um, the experience that we could, if um, given the keys to number six, uh, take over the reins of government without uh, too much of a problem. But I think overall, and you will see when our manifesto comes out, uh, from the point of view of public finance, you know, I strongly believe that we need to change the way things are done. The way things have been done up till now is uh, unfortunately, sadly lacking in terms of what the taxpayer can see in how their money is spent and what money is being borrowed in their name. Okay, thank you, Mr. Clinton. Uh, Ms. Jones, your last comments tonight. Well, there's no doubt that Brexit poses uh, significant threats to uh, our economy. Um, certainly, I would agree. Not since, uh, not not such as that seen uh, since the closure of the naval dockyard. That's for certain. And the loss of EU passporting opportunities in financial services uh, certainly won't be replaced in, uh, fully by passporting into the UK. So, uh, and there are also similar threats that exist to the online gaming sector. Certainly, the recent fall in the value of sterling. Uh, increases, uh, likely increases, certainly in transportation costs on goods that are brought into Gibraltar. Um, th uh, these things will likely have a, a direct impact on the prices in the shops and on the pockets. Uh, pressure will certainly be put on the pockets of purses and wallets here in uh, here of ordinary people in Gibraltar. And then you've got other factors such as the, you know, the prospect of recession in the UK. We're teetering on that. The EU and, we have and, and to globally. Conclude. Ms Jones, I'm terribly sorry, I've cut you off again. Um, you can say the last thing in 10 seconds. What I would say is uh, Gibraltar certainly needs to believe in, in a better future because a better future is possible. Thank you very much. Well, my thanks to all three candidates uh, for joining us. Sean Jones from Together Gibraltar, Sir Joe Bolsano from the GSLP Liberal Alliance and uh, Roy Clinton from the GSD. You've been watching a GBC election debate on money. Tomorrow the focus is on quality of life and that debate is on Radio Gibraltar just after the 1.30 news bulletin. Check out our website for our full programme schedule leading up to the general election on the 17th of October. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Good night.